Hey, it's John Willis again. It's the Profound Podcast. I have, I always say this is my favorite guest and, you know, half true, half like I love all my guests, but this guest has a special place in my heart for a number of reasons. Um, Mr. Andrew, would you introduce yourself? Well, hello. I uh, I don't always really love talking about myself, but maybe I should get better at promoting what I've done in my life. I my name is Andrew Clay Shaper. Uh, at this point, I actually work with John during the day, so we get, we get that adventure, which we may or may not talk about. But I uh, yeah, I I spent some time thinking about how to solve problems. My my aspirations were to be a scientist, a mathematician all this stuff and then at, at some point i figured out how much people will pay you to solve computer problems and i well there, there's like a, a two two month period where i got a master's degree i had a, a son and then my wife started medical school so that was kind of the end of the rock and roll lifestyle and she said i should probably figure out how to feed us and and i started working at startups and I started in like a software developer role, doing venture-funded startup things. And at some point, I ended up working on Puppet Code. And and there's like this long story. So uh, the, my co-founder at Puppet was my roommate in college back in the 90s. And there's some other adventures we won't tell today. There's, there's lots of adventures that I probably will tell anyone who wants to listen over uh, a nice meal. And then from, from that, this kind of, I just got enamored with this kind of like agile engineering process being extended to the infrastructure management. Right. So this is kind of around the first time I start. I met you. And so I was, I was thinking about what does agile mean to me? And the way I was kind of brought up in this was very different than the kind of what I'll call, you know, vapid introduction to Scrum that most people get, although I did go through that phase. But I spent a bunch of time with Alistair Coburn and these people who did XP and got into, you know, this this kind of notion of, of agile engineering, which I would argue starts with the ability to reproducibly build your code and run tests against it. And I was also in, in some of these startups I was just describing constantly faced with the you know classic problems that everyone runs into when you start trying to run software as a service where the things that worked on your desktop don't necessarily work in your test environment and the things that work in your test environment don't necessarily work in your production environment and and so you know the all all the hilarious things that you could do to yourself and your customers with those problems uh, I experienced before before I started working on this stuff so once once we started having this notion of infrastructure as code, a lot of us focus on, and I remember, you know, some conversation with you and Israel Gott and some of these other folks around this time, I was calling agile engineering. It was about being able to reproducibly rebuild from the servers to the code so that I could have, or we could have the collective us could could have that consistency. If you remember, and I want you to continue, but I got it before I forget this is, you know, I we knew we could talk about how we met earlier, which is sort of a really cool story. But I remember listening to a podcast with you, Israel Gat, and Michael Cote. You know, and I knew you well, and I knew Michael pretty well, and you know, I didn't know Israel Gat that well. But and I, I was driving in my car, and you talked about agile infrastructure, and I, I, I literally almost drove off the road. I'm like, oh, I can't. Like those two words have to fit in my life and and i you know i i think i called you or i pinged you and like where does this come from and you started telling me about what was going on in belgium with patrick and those guys but that's how that's literally what you know really got me going on devops was listening to you and you know they were interviewing you about agile infrastructure anyway i mean this is still unsolved in all these yeah. places it's uh you know i i'm everyone i know probably uh, is watching this log4j stuff roll out. And there's the interesting thing that we were, we I put it in our group chat. Um, I've also been talking about it with some other people, but you basically have these, this, this data that's showing that right now organizations are either completely updated, some of them twice with the second CV, and now there's a third one, yeah. um, or, or, or not at all. Okay. 
right? Like, like there's, it's all, and it's almost 50, 50. So this, there's this kind of unsolved management problem when you start talking about infrastructure where people just ha have very little ability to keep strong promises about what's deployed and, and updated on what I would consider a reasonable basis. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to somebody recently and they were sort of saying, you know what? Um, we've got it all over the place. It's so old. We don't think it's a threat to us. We ain't going to do anything with it. Like, and I've heard that before. I've heard that with, even with uh, Struts2 stuff with, you know, IoT companies are like, you know what? We, we can't rewrite that code. <laughs> you know, it's in like, you know, laser systems and things like that. And just, it's, you know, I don't know. Crazy. It's an unsolved it's, problem. Yeah, it's all it's all held together with chewing gum and totally. twine. But you, um, the other thing I thought was fascinating on, on your sort of bio because I, I this I, I can tell stars all day long about sort of me and Andrew things, but um, but then we wouldn't get to the deming stuff. But um, is that I remember I'm at Docker, and you pinged me at some point and said you got you got over to um, uh, you know pivotal. Over the, pivotal sorry yeah and uh, and you said. John, watch this space. <laughs> watch what I'm gonna do here. You know, you've gotten. You know, I think you, they gave you sort of like build something, and I've watched you just create like hire these people and put these people together. And I was so frustrated at Docker. I almost got fired for this. So I went into Ben Golub, the CEO, and I said, you know, uh, you know, I, I said, you know, we gotta do something like this. Can you let me do something like this? Like, let me just hire two people to start with. You know, and that went downhill like really fast. You know, and I was like. I'm like, he is killing us. You know, he brings in Michael Cote and Josh Long. You know, we can, and, and, and so they, Pivotal, I, would I was telling Ben Gobble, I said, you know, we come in on Monday, we tell our doctor story, and then they come out on Tuesday with Josh Long and, and Michael Cote. We're done. We're cooked. It's all over. You know, and 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 I almost I got in a big fight when I almost got fired. <laughs> I had to go stand down. He was starting to get mad at me, you know, but he was actually like, what do you think's wrong with Docker? I'm like, you really want to know, buddy? You know, but anyway, but you did some phenomenal stuff over there, like the team you built. And I mean, I like I like our team now too. Yeah, yeah, um, we got a good team. Th there's lots of stuff we're doing that's interesting. Um, little little uh, deeper in the fascia there, but my 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 responsibility there was to kind of fill this uh, developer relations, you know, kind of and 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 supporting. What, what I think we did there was basically, and, and some people don't necessarily love this verbiage, but kind of weaponize uh, developer evangelism in a way that connects the developers to the, the product and the sales teams. And, and so we ran around and yeah, there, there's a lot of stories we could tell about that, but I, I'm, I'm still friends and fond of all, yeah. all the people that were on that team. Uh, they're now, some of them are, are Red Hat. Some of them are still um, at VMware. There's uh, Bridget's over at Microsoft. Casey's over at Google. There's a bunch of those people that I, I definitely think we, we had a we had a good run. And it, it was to me, it was just about the chess game, right? Like I I we were talking about chess right before we started this recording. It's it's like what's on the board, what's missing, and the the Docker story was resonating with developers that were kind of experiencing that dopamine for the first time, mm -hmm. and, and and you know what what I was bringing, what what that that kind of like game was bringing was a conversation that expanded that across to the the dev and the ops and the business and and it's like this is why you need these platforms and it was it was a it was a fun fun run for for a, a minute and go through. And there, there's some there's some good talks out there. Yeah, yeah. When yeah, I used, yeah. We're still working on cloud foundry. We can talk about some of their, their talks here a little later. But um, yeah, I mean, and, and again, I don't I don't want to go too much into what we do now. It's just you know that's, um, but I mean it's cool. But like the the idea that you it, I, I won't say redo. Like my vision of it when you called me and you know first I'm like ah you know I don't know I'm not a big company guy but I thought about what you did over at Pivotal and you were going to create the same kind of atmosphere at Red Hat and. And then you said, oh, by the way, I got Kevin Bear and Jay Bloom and you know, Kevin's amazing. And Jay is, you know, like this insane blow your mind every time you talk to him. And you know, big like, brain. 
yeah, big brain. And so, and you too. And I'm like, wait a minute. And I, I tell people like, like, I, I kind of, we shouldn't say this red hat, but I, I feel like I should be paying to work with you guys. But um, cause I, I'm freaking, you know, I, I tweeted out today. I said something like, you know, if I've sounded smarter over the last two years, you know, I, I gave sort of Jabe an attribution because it was his tweet that I was following on to, but it's like, because I'm working with these guys, you know, but um, it's all good. Yeah. So, it's, a, it's different work, right? What, what we were talking about here was like being on stages and, and like being in the lights and, you know, rocking the guitars or whatever, where I feel like a lot of what we're doing now is like the deeper work yeah. and trying to get, so I think try, trying to get the hard work done. Yeah. The, the, the 10 years, the next 10 years. All right. So here it is. So I, um, the, you know, the, the, the reason I love doing this podcast is the last one of this year will be my first season in this podcast is because I started the first one off with Ben Ben Rockwood, and it was Ben who, you know, in my mind, sort of jump started me. If anybody's listening to podcasts, you've heard the, you know my whole story around that. Um, and then you know, a few years later, you know, um, I, Ben had told me, "Oh yeah, you know, like I got that from Andrew, the whole Deming thing. <laughs> Sorry, the Deming thing." And I'm like, yeah, figures, here we go again. You know, the wall of confusion, all these things that like, you know, like when you sort of peel, 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 like you're usually behind and, you know, even for me, the agile infrastructure podcast. So, so anyway, long winded, um, you've been thinking about Deming for quite a while. Um, you know, what, why did you get interested in him? Why do you think he's important when you, when you first started presenting some information about him and why do you think he was important today? So, so in the spirit of the no root cause analysis that we're about, have got to go through, I, I mean, it was all around some of this, the, the time I, I was talking about earlier. So there was this, you know, explosion in my, in my brain from some of my exposure to agile mixing with the, the, the focus on infrastructure. And around the same time, uh, I got introduced to some ideas from Kanban. Um, my, my introduction to that is this guy, Jeff Patton, who wrote a book called Story Mapping, which I think a lot of people should read, especially if they're interested in product management. And he got me thinking about flow and, and Kanban. And then you go a step uh, deeper in that and you start finding um, Mary Poppendick, who was like doing some very interesting work, bringing it into the kind of agile consciousness or the, the software development consciousness. And then those streams kind of crossed with this character, um, Christoph Luvian, who was at this place called Shopzilla. I don't know if you remember. Um, and they were doing some very interesting stuff with Puppet. And it was kind of like connecting, uh, you know, how they, they were actually doing some interesting stuff with OpenBZ, if I recall correctly. Oh, too. yeah. So no. like containers and configuration. I tried to, sell, I tried to and, Puppet there. And when I was at Chef, I was like, I couldn't. I, Jody Mulkey was over there. I, tried, I had no idea that it that this connected all the way back to Shopzilla. Because I literally spent like three years, two years trying to replace Puppet at, at Shopzilla, and he, he just wouldn't go for it. That's hilarious. So so this is this is like very interesting. Like all this stuff kind of comes together. So there's this this um, Agile conference in Toronto, and the 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 time when I was I was missing the my own birds of a feather thing that I pre, um, put on that only Patrick came to that I eventually. Um, circled back with him you gotta tell that though you gotta tell the 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 whole the 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 little longer version of that because it's it really is the birth of devops so so i was late because i was so enamored with this conversation i was having with christoph moving about all this lean and mary poppinick stuff so he is like he's like injecting mary poppinick stuff into my brain and why managing flow and kanban is better than managing scrum backlogs basically and and i i'd been introduced to Kanban at that point, but I just didn't have the same, I didn't, I didn't have the hands-on experience with it that, that they had. And, and so he was like walking me through like, why is better for ops teams and why it's better for all this stuff. And so that, that was put in my brain. And once you start talking about lean, it doesn't take long before you start running into Deming stuff. Right. And then, and then, you know, you read the 14 points, you read like some of that stuff. It's out there and it's like, oh, well, why do we have to reinvent this? Because it was already there. We just paid attention. One important thing, I think, is, uh, you know, um, you know, the history of DevOps, right, which is you were talking about. So I think people don't know that I think it was it was you at that Agile conference that posted a boff for um, 
for agile infrastructure or something like that. And only yeah, I only- wanted I wanted to talk about some of the stuff that I I already talked about a little bit here. It's like, yeah. well, you know, you have you have all these things that are going on over here with your infrastructure. It doesn't matter how agile you are if you can't put them on the servers faster than you know once a quarter or whatever it is. And then you know, like, so Patrick signs up, right? And yeah. but I guess you guys both figure since there's only two people, you both don't, or you you were sort of stuck in it. So the the birth of DevOps happens because a boff that never happened. <laughs> I just think that's a great. I mean, I have very fond memories of that time and fond memories of, of meeting uh, Patrick. And so, so there's this conference in Toronto. I was basically there as uh, I got a free ticket as a, as a volunteer. So like helping people, you know, navigate and go into the things. And I knew a bunch of people and I was kind of already in the agile community, but I didn't have very much money. Puppet uh, wasn't really funded. Right. So we were, we were running around doing whatever we could have and whatever conversations we, we could get ourselves into. And Patrick had already written some stuff about uh, uh, using Scrum, basically, for uh, system administration stuff. So he wrote some interesting papers about Agile and system administration. And they, they, these aren't like very formal, right? So it's like birds of a feather. There's an open space um, and not open space like we do in DevOps days, but just like a big room with a bunch of different tables set up, you could go do whatever. And, and I ha- had put a card on the on the wall that I wanted to talk about this stuff. And that, that's sort of how it works. And there, there were some, more, more of them that I think didn't get very many attendees um, than it did. And I had, I, I was just, I was just basically late. And when I got there, I think Patrick had already left, but we, we spent probably at that conference I'm going to say like four or five hours, especially if you count like they they had one of my favorite memories of this conference, which we we did reprise in a few DevOps days, was uh, a stage with a bunch of instruments and some people who could play them. And then idiots like me getting up and singing songs and playing drums and playing guitar. And it was was just like super fun. And Patrick was, we, we spent like the night talking about things and like, singing songs so that's awesome from there from there we started planning this this conference well he he was interested he was like hell bent on on doing a conference that was going to bring together devonops right because like we, we had these conversations and i had been i've been organizing conferences i i organized a conference called agile roots in utah which was essentially an attempt from you know my perspective with some of those people that i mentioned earlier that were there, Alistair Coburn, whatever, and you, you can see some of these videos are posted um, to to like basically reinvigorate what I thought was, or, or we that that group thought was kind of lost in some of the agile implementations, where it's all you know ritual and ceremony, and didn't really capture the fire and spirit of some of this stuff. Where you know you you need to have technical excellence as much as you need to have standups, or or you're not going to get good outcomes. Well, you um, well that was so that that format that that format and then Puppet um, Camp. So Puppet Camp is the first conference that I organized. It had the the same format as what eventually comes a DevOps days format. That was the half open space and half uh, half speeches. Yeah, I think I missed that one. I did go to the first Puppet conference, but um, but you know, the, I, I don't know where the, what the timeline is, and who cares between the time that you were at that Agile thing and I heard you on that. Israel Gat, Agile Executive with Cote, but I remember you saying there's a guy over in um, in Belgium, Belgium, and, and so I, I, you know, like what, what, one other part we left out here is Velocity Conference. Yeah, we we definitely talk about that in a second. But the but I then I was at Canonical at that time. I was just about to go over to Chef, but I was at Canonical. And I, I got a hold of Patrick and Patrick said, and I was working with Simon Wadley and we were trying to do some nonsense, uh, private cloud and cloud in a box. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a mess. Um, but the, um, I, I talked to Patrick and Patrick said, I'll tell you what, if you can get canonical to do a sponsorship, oh no, I know if you can get canonical to pay your way to come over here, we'll give them a logo sponsorship. And so I called to Simon and said, we have to do this, Simon. This is everything. The world's going to change. It's, and I'd already met Luke too. And I'd already sort of got the religion about puppet and, you know, and Adam was starting to do things. So I went over there and, you know, it was just, it was just, um, 
for me, it was just this, I, I felt like I was done with our industry. You know, I'd been doing Tivoli stuff. It, it just felt like we weren't solving any problems. And I don't know that we still are, but at least at that point, I saw all these young people, you know, and I met you and I met Luke and the, the thing was rolling in my head about like this new way of doing things. And there it was just, oh my God, this is, you know, this is the way things have to look and work. And, and so that, that's what got me started on the whole DevOps thing. And, and we still can't even patch log for j so that's, <laughs> that's right <laughs> everybody like like i'm working i told i told you on the chat we're working on this um you know sort of paper slash book that will come out next year as part of gene's thing and uh, all the companies like seven or eight people that work for real large cap companies and like We've gotten no work done in the last two weeks because literally they are all exhausted because of Lark for J. I, I didn't put this in the, the group chat, but it, it's a pretty funny meme that was going around earlier where there's this there's this picture of this guy who's obviously like 70, 80 years old. <laughs> and and there's a little caption by that says, working in FISAC is not stressful. David, 28 years old. You know, he's like. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, that's great. That's great. This is silly. But yeah, it's, it's, I mean, trying to keep people safe when uh, there's software involved is a problem. It's, 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 it's always been and always will. Um, so then, so Deming, um, so why do you think he's important today? Like, what, what's, what's his, this sort of, why should we think about him? Why should people read about him? Or what should they take away from? I mean, again, if you can just go through the principles, and, and at this point, I feel like your Deming scholarship far exceeds mine. Um, I, I tend to get enamored with things just enough to solve the problem I have <laughs> in front of me and then go on. Um, and, and, and when I started reading Deming stuff, you know, back at that time, I was, I was just, I was just floored. And, you know, Deming's not the only one like Acoff, Senge, some of these other guys, like there, there's a deep thought that went into some of this, but if you go through the the 14 points, out of the crisis or you know the profound right the name of your podcast like there's there's thought that was put into solving some of these problems that you still see plaguing a lot of these organizations i think that there's it, it i i would say it this way right he had a, he had an impact on my thinking um and to summarize some of it is is like he makes it very clear and it's very simple but that doesn't necessarily make it easy. Right. That's it. Yeah. And, and so I think that there's, if you're, if you're looking for, you know, whether, whether it's inspiration or like kind of like a practical thing to try getting, getting some understanding of what people have tried before is probably a good idea. And, and I think Deming as a consequence of, you know, some of his choices, some of his circumstances and his, his kind of natural approach to problem solving got to see a broad um, base of these problems that were, you know, the problems of his day, right? So if you look at the center of his work, it's mostly focused on manufacturing, right? And you can see that reflected in uh, a few ways. And that's certainly the birth of a lot of this lean stuff that eventually comes into software. And and those those don't always come across 100%, at least in my um, opinion, because manufacturing is different than software, but there's still a lot of lessons that that we could pull apart. And that, I mean, I think that's why that you you're excited and you have these podcasts and you get these people. They're going to talk about Deming because he's impacted their thinking as well. Yeah, and you know the thing I find is what's interesting, and I think that sort of my next question to you is that the deeper I get into Deming, the deeper I find all of this sort of the the. Um, the veins of that knowledge, you know, like I, I just did a bunch of research on systems thinking, right. You know, so I think it, I, I had this like um, insight that I, I don't know if it, if it's, it's just a, a Johnism or a botchkaloopism. And so I don't care. I'll just say it anyway, you know, one of the things it took me a while to really get was the fifth discipline. Like the fifth is the umbrella for the four, you know, and I think system of found knowledge. I started thinking about that. Like, um, you know, he has knowledge of, uh, you know, knowledge of variation, um, you know, knowledge of psychology, um, you know, so the, the, uh, the theory of knowledge, and, but he calls appreciation of the system. So in some ways, his um, four lenses and system profound knowledge, I think he's saying the same thing Senge is saying, is appreciation of systems. 
is like the umbrella for the other three, just like the, the systems thinking is for fifth discipline, which leads me into, um, the, you know, I said earlier, like Ben Rockwood and you are like the perfect bookends for my first season. And because people ask me and I, you know, I've seen as many DevOps presentations as anybody else on the planet. And I still to this day can't think of any presentations that I have seen at the time that I saw them and how they impacted me. Those um, Ben's uh, digital, you know, DevOps transformation, like 2011 or 12, maybe. And you're, um, there is no talent shortage. And uh, those are, you know, I would say neck and neck for the two best presentations I've ever seen. And that's something you've always been, you know, had a strong opinion on is learning organizations. You know, in fact, your, your favorite quote in when Gene and I did the Beyond the Phoenix project, like the our favorite quote we agreed, which is you're either a learning organization or you're losing to somebody who is, and that was your quote. But your thoughts about learning organization, I think, are profound. Well, I mean, this is another rabbit hole I found myself in, and I, I can't remember the exact thing that I was looking for, but I stumbled into some dissertation that was written in, I believe, China. It was it, like maybe, maybe it was Korea, but I think it was China. And they they had uh, references back to these dimensions of organizational learning from Watkins and Marsick, and so then I just started following the the trail of references and got enamored with the, the organizational learning stuff. But to the point you're making, like there's only one Mount Fuji, right? There's only one elephant that all the wise people are touching. And if you look through the lens of the fifth discipline and the, you know, the, the five things or what, what have you, like it's basically the same as the, the organizational learning stuff, right? So the, the, the five, you have the systems thinking, team learning, mental models, personal mastery, shared vision. Like you go map the seven dimensions of organizational learning. The, the only thing that I would say really stands out, you know, and I'm, I didn't do my homework to really have this podcast, but oh, yeah. the, the organizational learning emphasis on people being able to participate in the process, regardless of the rank it, of their rank in the organization is brought out very explicit in the organizational learning stuff. Where, where maybe that's not so explicit in saying stuff, but that's like the only thing that I don't think maps almost one for one across to the, the system thinking stuff. In the, in the core of the, the, there is no talent shortage, right? Which was, you, you know, you've given lots of examples, even, even to sort of mastery, you know, like in, in, you know, sort of uh, judo or even in health, right? Like some of your examples of, but I guess I'm, you know, I'm not prepared, <laughs> but I mean, I'm trying to think about the, the stories you've told over the years about the sort of that mastery and then like how that plays into the, there is no talent shortages. So, so just to kind of, for the listening audience, the, the talks online, you can go watch it. We can put it in the link or whatever yeah. uh, after, but the, the, the whole thing builds up on this kind of thing about trying to get an advantage, right? So it's like competitive advantage. And, and at the time, and, and I, I think it's probably actually worse now, everyone, everyone's going on about how the talent shortage and, and like, we can't find the right people. And, and so there's this kind of framing was like, well, if you want to find the right people, you got to be the right people. You got to be able to make the right people, right? Especially at a certain scale, you have to become an organization that can teach people the skills of, of the things you need to be able to do. And this is also just an interesting thing to reflect on in the history of, you know, corporate enterprise, whatever, America. And, and I, I don't, I, I have more experience with American airplaces, but you see some of this um, across the world is there was a time when people were hired and they did on the job training, but, but if people are like trying to find these experts that they can't find and believe that they can't, you know, they can't make progress in this. They can go get these special people that kind of did these things already. And then they get them and they don't know what to do with them. And they make all these rules about why they can't work the way that they used to do. And then they, they're, they're surprised when those people quit in, in nine months. Like I see this over and over in, in some of the uh, work that we, we've done over the last you know few years, five years. You, you have to be able to build systems that can take people there's not, there's no talent shortage. Maybe there's an experience shortage. Maybe there's some uh, shortage of courage in the leadership, 
but there's so much talent. There's so much human potential that goes wasted every day. And then one of the points I try to make in this, and I do it in this like weird game theory math way, um, which I, in, in retrospect, if I had to do it over again, I'd try to make it simpler, but it's basically this notion of the, uh, you know, Nash equilibrium. So, so Pareto inefficient Nash equilibrium means that there's some party that could be made better and there's no party that would be made worse, but no one will change. No one will change because the definition of Nash equilibrium is no one will change. Right. And, and that, that's, I think my selling is true. And, and my main motive, when I, when I made that talk, like what got me kind of inspired to make that talk is I, I'd been in these, in these organizations, um, sometimes as an employee, sometimes as a, as a consultant. And I'd, I'd heard all this stuff about agile and, you know, DevOps was, was starting to be a thing. And you could give, you could give an organization the same tools the same process, the same workshops, the same kind of like assistance, and they would get drastically different results. And, and I was kind of frustrated with what could be done to help those who weren't getting good results. Um, and, and why were they getting good results here and not this other place? And what it, what it kind of came back to and what, what the light bulbs went off for me when I stumbled into some of that research is the difference between those, those organizations is that capacity to take new information and turn it into new actions. And in, in so many cases, what you find in a lot of organizations, and this I think this connects back to all this stuff the Deming was trying to do, all this stuff Sangu was trying to do, can you think about the system well enough to understand that there's some things that could change. There's some things that should change. And then, and then change those with intent and change those with purpose and change those with vision in such a way you can get those outcomes that everyone wants to get, the, the you know, high performing, um, you know, whatever good is for your organization or your mission, what does that, what does that take? And I see so many places for a variety of reasons who, who won a game, they, they won the game. That's what the national equilibrium represents is that they, they were playing with an optimal strategy for the game that they, that they won, but that game's gone. And if you want to play a new game, if you want to win a new game, you can't play the old way. It's funny because um, I struggled. I think the Prater inefficient national is freaking brilliant. <laughs> I just, you know, um, but it took me a long time to figure out what that was. In fact, it, you know, I just remembered it was actually a tweet from Kevin Bear that like gave me that last little piece because I, I, you know, I figured okay, like this is really interesting, and so I tried to learn as much as I could about Nash equilibrium, and I, you know, I, I wouldn't, you know, I would, I would be embarrassed to express it to like game theorists, but like in my head, I've got it right, and then you know, I think Pareto inefficiency is, I could reasonably explain. The thing I couldn't get is that whole thing. And it was staring me in the face in your presentation because you had that Gatlin gun, you know, and I, I you know, in my sort of like, and it was Kevin that said something in a tweet and I'm like, I get it. And it was like, when you get to that place where you're sort of in an equilibrium and you're Pareto inefficient, like you got to come up with a Gatlin gun or so, you know, like you have to sort of. The, the game, the game's changed and your choice is like, you can, you can recognize this change and play different, or you could just lose playing right, the same that's way. Right, that's right. That's right. Yeah. No, I, I've, um, you know, because the, the, the model, the symbolism of the Gatling gun in the talk, and, you know, I, some, some people don't like the, the war yeah, metaphors, yeah, but that's fine. Um, is, is that there's these punctuated equilibriums in, in lots of things. In, in the game of war in particular, there's, there's all these examples where, once this thing happens, you can never go back, right? So like the longbow, um, you know, diff different times, different places, different ages, gunpowder. But once, once the Gatling gun is brought to a field of battle, like war is different after that. You can't, you can't do what you did before. It won't work. So do you think and, it's like, and, go ahead, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say in the, in the talk, I, I, I brought up um, mixed martial arts as a metaphor and then also 
Um, there's this example, which is from um, the fifth discipline. It's actually from Sangi's book, um, talking about the the GM. So that that was a that was oh, straight out of straight out of the fifth discipline. So and, that and how and how yeah. they lost they lost the Japanese, which connects back to Deming. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, so now I'm at the point where like I feel like I might get punched in the nose for asking this question, but like since we're such, I mean, what is the is it cloud native? Is it what is what is what is like if you had to say right now? And actually, this is a good. I wanted to get into like your thoughts about like as we move into next year in 2022. Um, like if we think about that Pareto efficient Nash equilibrium, the the world is you know there's something has changed where you you know your old ways. I mean, is it? I mean, I, I I'm sure your answer wouldn't be as simple as it's just cloud native, but but there's something hovering around like the game has changed. I think cloud native still got uh, enough shine on it that, that we can use that. I think what, what I came to recognize watching, you know, sort of, sort of like coming into this and like seeing agile as this shiny thing that like took, took a lot of mind share. And then, you know, my own personal and in our personal relationship to DevOps movement. And then you see, so, so DevOps as a word starts in 2009, but and, and I make this point explicitly in, in some of my other um, presentations, but you see these, these models of behavior and these models of working and these models of these tools uh, much earlier than that, right? In, in specific, you see the stuff that's going on inside of, um, uh, of Amazon, inside of Google, inside of Twitter, inside of Facebook, as they're kind of learning to, to struggle with what it takes to deliver these services, this, this like big web style reliability, big web style um, responsiveness, but also with the feature velocity. So there's this Darwinian pressure, maybe kind of going back to the, the, the war metaphor, this com competition metaphor that those, those practices emerge from. Um, SRE was being practiced, but it's not really brought into the public consciousness really till the 2016 book. You know, you could you could kind of pry some some stuff uh, out of people, but I remember if you mentioned the word Borg in a conversation with people at Google in two thousand eight two thousand nine, you know, early velocity timeline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like an if you if if you try to get people to talk to you about Borg at velocity, they would stop talking. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They they would they would stop talking and they would find a way to leave the room unless. You know, it was really, really late, and there'd been some yeah, yeah, whiskey involved. Good but, but that was that was just a different time um, than we live in now. So, coming back to the question, I I think that there is some value, and it's funny. So right now, I've been doing uh, like some. I'm trying to rehab a shoulder. Like I hurt my shoulder, and so I've been stumbling into like some interesting stuff people do with these weighted maces and Indian clubs to like get the shoulder strength and mobility. And, and there's this one uh, guy that I'm kind of fond of. Um, we can put a, a link to, um, he's like this, his name's wild man or whatever. And he, he has like these videos where he, he basically makes fun of himself and like the whole practice. Cause he's like, this is called a, this thing, unless you learn it from this person. And it's called this thing. And uh -huh. this thing, cause like people like to make the same exercise have different names. Cause then they could post different hashtags and like write about like it's a different thing. And, and I think, that insight is is also something you see at these kind of organizational levels and and market levels where is 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 GitOps different than anything we were talking about in in puppet conversations in two thousand six literally not really not really you know by by two thousand ten for sure it was if you go through what they just made the the GitOps like four principles or whatever mm -hmm. that's pretty much a, a puppet conversation from 2008 2009 so you know get clarity what's that get is funny because when i first read it i'm like wait a minute like we've done this and like then i thought i was be i was like maybe i'm stupid maybe i just don't understand what the difference is i mean i i literally struggled with get outs because i literally what you just said i'm like i thought this problem was already solved and not solved but discussed and known and then I'm reading it. I'm like, what am I missing? You know that you know. And I but, but, but here's the value. So so this 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 kind of like used to bother me. This this gen, not not GitOps in particular, but right. this kind of 
new buzzwords that aren't any different than what people are doing. And and we we kind of heard the same thing in some of the, the DevOps conversations too, where people would say, oh, you know, we did that. Yeah. We, we were doing that. And it's like, okay, well, there's there's some differences. But what what I really came to appreciate in the last 10 years is the the new words give people an impetus to change their behavior, right? Because you you've already got people and 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 you know this is this is like my day job right now where you talk to this this group and they're like, oh yeah, we got the agile. Yeah, we 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 did the DevOps. It's like, well, <laughs> you can say that, but you're like terrible at software and you can't patch your servers. And so so like what did you actually do? And they're like, well, we got SRE now. It's like, well, you yeah, know, right, God, right. God bless you. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, that's it's uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a, I, I get into this all the time with people. Um, you know, just on a sort of side note, it was somebody the other day when I I mentioned um, Simon Sinek, and I'm like, oh my god, that guy's terrible. And you're like, I'm like, okay, explain to me why he's terrible. You know, because this person was you know pretty in tune, like had read way more books than I've ever read, and you know, and their point was like, right, he's too simple. He, but like, I'm like, dude, like, it was the you know the start of why that helped me like expand me into a whole different way of thinking so i think you know you're right like you know there's there's like nothing's new but you know if we're just adding to the tribe so maybe i'm i'm mellowing with the age and you know i <laughs> went through this phase where it's like i don't like this buzzword and i don't like that buzzword and you know i didn't even like devops right as a buzzword but now it's like well you know if GitOps helps you yeah change something and that's good for you and that's good for your organization like Right on you, you know. Go, go do, go do GitOps. That's great. Yeah, no, I, 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 and and and, you know, you could put all of the umbrella like buzzwords like cloud native, whatever you want to call it. Okay, like serverless, you know. And if you get into the subgenres of all this stuff, now there's there's like these little subgenres of of DevOps, right? You got observability, and they have like, you know, almost like their own little tribe. And then you have like the chaos engineering tribe, and they're like, you know, there's some cross pollination, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and we used to talk about all that stuff to some degree in the DevOps days, you know, 2010 Mountain View, like we talked about injecting failure into infrastructure, right? Like that was a Jesse Robbins thing right. at Amazon, right? So it's it's not that anything is necessarily new. It's that the the language to speak about it in a new way gives people a chance to do it in a new way. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I, I agree. I mean, it's like the whole, I mean, I don't want to go this far back, but, you know, when I, I remember like 2008, 2009, people would say, cloud, we used to do that with old IBM VM systems. And like, yeah, theoretically you did, but you didn't create this API economy that, you know, that Amazon created. But so we what do I mean, Like this is kind of the, the day job right now, but like what I'm fascinated with when people talk about cloud and especially private cloud and especially this argument you just made is just going back to the fundamental uh, NIST definitions of cloud that are like 12 years old or whatever now, yeah. self-service, man. Yeah. Did you have, did you have self-service? That's right. That's right. Could you oh, write, code okay. to, yeah. could you write code to do an API that called and started? The, I, I don't care if you could write code to an API. Could someone else that wasn't you do it? Right, 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 right. So, um, so there's, there's a lot of things that, you know, we could probably spend another hour on, but that, you know, some of the, I think, fascinating things that you've, that you've promoted since you've been at Red Hat. Um, and so I, I'll let you pick, but, you know, there's a couple of things that, you know, that I think you've, you've taken a lot of your ideas to another level. Um, and uh, do you want to talk about some of those things that like that we talk about? At Red I Hat? mean, I don't know. Give me softballs. We 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 kind of act as a brain trust, right? It's not like yeah. I, I want uh, credit credit for this any more than any of the other yeah. things. That I I feel like very fortunate, right? So like sometimes people say things like, you know, DevOps in my name or whatever, but it's like I was just stealing the good ideas from wherever I could find them, yeah. and I was I was fortunate enough to have a little bit of a platform and and you know whatever gifts with with language to make little pithy one-liners that people uh, get to say. So in, in um, and I'm not exactly positive what you're talking about, but I talk a lot about um, this notion of the five, five elements yeah, that's or the five failures. Let you pick it, but yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I mean, also like I steal Jabe's stuff, 
Right. Um, we all I do, try, right? I, I try to give him credit for, for it, but it's like that, that, that lens of the, the three economies sort of re I re envisioned all the DevOps conversations through that, that core tension between the innovation and efficiency that the Jave describes. Can you explain uh, the three so, economies real quick? So the three economies starts with this, this core conflict between innovation and efficiency. And then, and, and Jave's um, language, the research literature, whatever, refers to that as the differentiation economy and the, the scale economy. So each of those is a different game um, that both sides point, trying to play and, and win in their context. And then the third economy is what is called the scope economy, which is essentially this kind of platform that connects both sides and keeps promises to both sides and, and constraints on both sides. So this is, you know, in, in like the post facto analysis sense, it is an, uh, and, and you could also look at the NIST definitions of, of cloud. You, you could kind of argue that you have software as a service platform as a service and infrastructure as a service. The manifestation of the scope economy is, and this is why I love this language and kind of revisit all the DevOps conversations. It emerges from an ongoing negotiation between the selfish interest in favor of the collective interest. So the DevOps initiatives, they're all about, you know, the tools and the, you know, the, the, the puppets, the chefs, the Ansibles, the open shifts, the Kubernetes, whatever. Um, they, they tend to not get um, as good of results, in my opinion, as the initiatives that can bring the selfish interests of developers and the selfish interests of operators together on the table, everyone recognizes their, their selfish interests and, and the solution, this, this manifestation of the scope economy platform is a solution that is resolving those selfish interests in favor of our collective interests. So the promises that I, you know, and, and you see this manifest in the way that, you know, Netflix was deploying code with microservices, with their stuff, you know, the, the, all the conversations with, with Adrian at DevOps days in like 2010, 2011, to me, like it represents a lot of the, of the ideas. Borg is a scope economy construct, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. which means Kubernetes is a scope economy construct. So it's like, at what level is the needs? And, and, you, and you see this pendulum go back and forth in all these orgs where, you you try to you try to enable innovation. You know you're going to give developers autonomy. You're going to focus on developer experience, and as a consequence of that, you're creating all this downstream operational burden, this ever widening attack surface. Because every team made different choices. Every team had some different kind of idea, and they, and you didn't provide a way for those to kind of interact and connect and reinforce each other. So there's a lot of rework, and then and then a lot of operational burden. The flip side is you see organizations who have swung everything towards efficiency, and now you can't get anything done. Now there's no innovation, right? So finding that that balance point and getting both sides connected and both sides supported means that you can't just say, oh, you know, the operators are going to build a platform and the developers are going to use it. The developers have to be agents. They have to be, you know, part of that thing, or, or, or the developers are going to make a platform and then ops is going to just like take it over the wall. And then you got the same, you know, wall of confusion problems that you always did. So finding, finding that balance point where everyone comes to the table and recognizes. And then I started um, talking about security as another selfish interest, right? Quality as another selfish interest. What can we do organizationally to represent and keep promises about all these things we need to keep promises about with this shared understanding of our, of our collective interests, whatever that is for your organization. And, and like, what has to be there, right? So, you know, is there is there a way for the devs to do self-service with access to all of these services, data, pipelines, what have you, that can keep all these promises to ops and security downstream with with the, their their selfish interest to keep that stuff up and secure? Perfect. No, that was great. That was great. You know, I, uh, you know, I think you know, I remember having a conversation with Mark Burgess one time about like Google, and you know, he's he's done some work with them and. I think he wrote the forward for the original um, SRE book, and, and he said something to me. I thought it was we we wrote we wrote uh, two together on the. Um, the yeah, I knew you wrote two. I, I I know you both. There, there's there's two, and we both have one on that. That's one. right. That's right. Um, and by the way, most people don't realize too is that um, that um, the 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 Allspark book, the original uh, book by Web Operations book, which like comes out nine months later, and it's called the DevOps book. 
but um, you wrote uh, um, you wrote uh, infrastructure agile infrastructure agile infrastructure chapter in it, which again was like incredibly early. Uh, but Mark said this; I thought it was really cool. He said that you know the, the clever thing that Google did, which just goes back to the board, goes back to like the three economies, or you're talking about scope, in my opinion, which was they made uh, a non-deterministic world look deterministic to the developers. You know, in other words, like they, they use these abstractions and, and like instead of them having to worry about this growth of incredible complexity. So I, I thought um, I mean, the principle is make the right thing, the easy thing yeah, so right. that your developers don't have to be they don't like don't make them become experts in distributed systems and security. Totally. Solve that problem with the experts at a level that can keep those promises to the to the organization. Um, the the only thing that I would add about what, what five elements is is essentially recognizing that dev and ops is not enough to solve um, the problems in most organizations. That if you um, build build the perfect race car and you still don't know how to drive it, then then you don't have the ability to go and win the race. So uh, I added this kind of conversation around um, the five failures, which is leadership failures, uh, product failures. Development failures, architectural failures, and operations failures. So we'll we'll say um, for the sake of the, the the short version that dev and ops connected by architecture is kind of like the the three economies. And then what are you going to do with that? Now you got the race car. Well, do you so the a product failure is and and I've seen these um, to the level of you know hundreds of millions of dollars. That if you don't understand the customers that you're dealing with, the mission, the value you're trying to create. You can spend an awful lot of time and resources making software that doesn't really matter and, yeah. and coming up with ways to validate the hypothesis of the thing you're building against the value you're trying to create early and often um, is in your best interest if you want to if you want to actually serve the mission and not just spend all that money. And then the leadership failure is when you have, and this is all this is related to a lot of threads that we pulled on today. Um, do you have the organizational capacity? to change your behavior is somewhat predicated on leaders that will allow those new behaviors to manifest. And, and a leadership failure um, in this conversation is that your, your leadership, and it doesn't mean all of them, it could even be just one party, is actively preventing new ways of working. Yeah, no, I mean, my aha moment on five elements was that, um, well, two things. One, that when I realized, you know, haven't we been sort of I don't know if myopic is the right word of just DevOps, DevOps. And, and again, it served us very well. And then like, yes, why don't we have a conversation about like architecture and product and dev and ops and leadership? And then I think the, the thing that really drove it home for me, which is the thing that like I see all the time, well, what are the, the like, biggest ills like that I see all the time we go in there is like everybody who's done this DevOps thing, the architects are still on a different planet. Right. So that's one we see over and over. Like people tell me, John, if you could just figure out a way to help me fire my architects. No, no, no. That's not what you want. Like, and then, or yeah, and then we know product management like that. And so, but the, 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 I, I think it was either you or Jay who said, think of it like a, you know, sort of Chinese medicine, this balance theory. Like if you could get, and then it's like totally. Yeah. That was, that, that was me. And then Jay went off and like re researched Chinese medicine for three months or something. <laughs> that's what he does. Right. So, uh, um, well, anyway, um, yeah, I knew this was going to be great. Um, do you, you know, if people want to sort of reach out to you or get to you or, you know, like they find you, what's the the best? So thing? I'm I'm responsive-ish on Twitter and, and LinkedIn. So Andrew Clay Schaefer on LinkedIn, if you want to have a conversation or Twitter, um, my DMs are open and, and I'm usually somewhat responsive, although I get a little overwhelmed with my um, responsibilities. But uh, just, just a really quick, comment on some of the stuff that we just said is the one of my tweets from the last year that I think is related to some of this stuff about buzzwords and balancing these silos is uh and and this this was something that I saw that day so I tweeted it but ba basically uh if if you have an SRE silo that is different than the DevOps silo then you might be an enterprise yeah that's and crazy. and and you get bonus you get bonus points if you have an SRE silo and a DevOps silo that don't work together. That's a, like, the, the extra point, yeah. I mean, again, well, I mean, we could. I don't. You know, it's about like I try to keep these things to about fifty minutes max. But um, 
we, we, we can close it off. One, one last little thing, and this is a system thinking, Deming, Sengi thing, uh-huh. is like, and, and I, I started saying this constantly in a lot of these conversations is, if you show me your, your org chart and your funding model, I'll predict everything will be hard for you to change. And when you see those silos, and this is also related to the buzzwords and the adoption of the, you know, GitOps or whatever the new buzzword is, like organizationally, I think there's a big issue with the way these models set people up to be siloed, mm-hmm. set people mm-hmm. up like the funding model and the org chart itself is set up to build more silos. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, even the SRE thing, right. Which is, you know, the biggest thing I see, and I know you see it too, is these incident teams just like, you know, just like DevOps. I don't know. Okay. I'll, I'll do it next month. You know, have you DevOps yet? I'll do it next month. And then they read, you know, some of that, that silly nonsense about, um, you know, uh, SRE inherits DevOps or something like that. And then they're like, uh, next time they come, have you DevOps yet? And they're like, yeah, oh, really? How did you do it so fast? We're SRE. You know, like they didn't do anything. They just renamed the team to SRE. I mean, you, you saw you saw this over and over though, right? Like the, the ops got renamed to DevOps. They yeah. didn't change yeah. anything. And then the DevOps got renamed to ops and they didn't change anything. Or, or they created a new silo between Dev and Ops <laughs> yeah. that was called DevOps. And then, and then, then now I have, now I have three silos, right? So it's like, I, I, I think that this is why it's hard. This is why it's simple, but not easy. This is why Sengi's ideas, organization learning ideas, Deming's ideas, you can read them and you can say, oh, well, that makes sense. But when you get into the dynamics of these organizations and the, the games that are being played, they're, they're at a Nash equilibrium and it's hard for them to change their behavior. Yeah, 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 no. I think we'll we'll do this again hopefully next year, and I'd love to uh, you know a fear of like asking you about game theory and how we like you know I I've always been fascinated like if I had an extra life or something to sort of spend a whole lot of time on game. I mean theory. the reality of the game theory thread is like you cannot apply real game theory to most of what we're talking about. Like game theory, for the most part, is based on very simple games. Like the mathematics gets very complicated right. even on very simple games so so what we're talking about from a game theory perspective is only useful to the extent that you could make those models so the 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 main takeaway i think you've already gotten which is that the game has a nash equilibrium or doesn't but when you're in a nash equilibrium no one will change their behavior no one will change their strategy that was that was the whole lesson not to like send people Onto like yeah. exploring game theory. That's right. That right. when right. these things occur, the the behavior, the predicted behavior, is no one will change. And that's why you have to get the Gatling gun, or you know the you have to sort or that that's or that was the change. And like you, the proof is, you know, you have the to proof is that. everyone everyone loses after right, that. Right, you, right, if you right. don't, I, I think that that's when this is one 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 kind of like last thing time to this word i hate more than any word now is just transformation um that the 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 most effective transformations that i've ever witnessed or been a part of had one of two things and i think it goes back to um what we're talking about one the first one is a charismatic leader who had the social capital to change the rules of the game to say this is the new way and everyone just does it right you, you can go read about you know the base the Bezos insistence that everything will be through an api right. is a cio level game change mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is the game like cloud is based on that insight coming from that ceo saying we're going to do it this way right and, that, and then you see the result the other thing that that results in transformation is when at an existential level, the company knows they're going, they're going down. Like yeah. the numbers, everyone, everyone can just see it. Like the writing is on the wall. It's in front of our face. If we don't change what we do, we will not exist. And if you don't have, so, so that one is someone can change the game. Right. And the other one is recognizing the game actually um, changed. And unfortunately, more often than not, it's the, boil, the parable of the boiling frog, right? That they don't they don't there 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 there's a lot of there's a lot of organizations and this this goes all the way back to deming and it's probably a good place to close uh change change is not necessary 
Right. Survival is not mandatory. Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's that's a great way to close. <laughs> awesome way to close it. All right, my friend. Um, it was always great. a pleasure. Yeah. Stay safe. Yeah. Happy holidays. Same all thing that. You to you and everybody else. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers. Mm-hmm.